Good morning. All right, well, uh, welcome. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, this morning, we are finishing our third and final week on our Going Deeper in Bible Study series. And I'm very excited to open up God's Word with you. Um, you'll notice that there are two things. One is a bulletin, which is normal. It has this cover, but it's a little smaller. And the sermon notes are inside of that. Uh, but over the last couple of weeks, we've been giving this out. And you can find this online, but this is very simply um, a three-week study in the book of Philippians um, that teaches somebody how to read and study the Bible. For me, one of the biggest wins was sitting with a number of people and saying, um, if I brought someone to you to disciple who did not know how to read and study the Bible, would you be able to show them and what would you use to show them? And everybody said, I think I could, but I don't know what I would use. We put this in their hands, and I said, now do you know what you can use? And everybody said, if I'm going to teach somebody how to read the Bible, this is something I can absolutely use, a three-week journey through the book of Philippians, teaching them how to study the Bible for themselves. So very, very excited about this, and you'll be able to get these ongoing. And we're going to continue to make more of these, going deeper in prayer, going deeper in evangelism, and over the upcoming year, you'll see a number of these three-week series so that we can give you as much equipping as possible. Sound good? Sound good. So you can take notes in here or in your bulletin, in your sermon notes. So to get started, uh, how many of you in the last month would say that you have watched some kind of home renovation TV show? Raise your hand. Okay, the, the 9 a.m., like three quarters of the room. Okay, so I'll be honest, I used to uh, sort of quietly, secretly enjoy Extreme Home Makeover. And uh, I would never want to watch it in front of my wife because there's always this point when they say, move that bus. And I would always like kind of tear up and be like, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. Don't let her see. Don't let her see. And I hated watching it because it was so emotional and it sucked you in. Her favorite one is Fixer Upper on HDTV with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Literally, Brianne, in the 9 a.m., we had an applause throughout. So apparently that's like the group that watches HDTV, but um, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch this show, and she'd always say, let's watch, you know, Fix Her Upper, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's a dumb show, and every time she turned it on, though, I'd be like, we have to finish it, like, we can't not finish it, we have to see what happens, right? <laughs> no, but there's this little part of you that's, like, addicted, like, you got to see what's going to happen, and I love, they, they take these empty spaces, they take these useless spaces, these spaces that some of them are, like, tolerable or just absolutely disgusting, and they renovate them, and they bring a beautiful picture of redemption. They take something that once is just quite honestly disgusting or useless, and they make it more than just usable. They make it life-giving, and there's something that I think we're inside of us that we're drawn to these stories because they're just many pictures of redemption, and don't we just love stories when broken things are made whole and usable again? Somebody give me an amen on that one, right? We love these things. I think that's part of what draws us to Fixer Upper particularly. I love that Chip and Joanna Gaines are believers, and so they find other believers, um, and they renovate their homes, and so really you're seeing two believers um, renovate the homes of other believers, and they're putting this on public TV for everyone to see. But these spaces, I call them empty spaces, and they're empty because, number one, they're either physically empty. I mean, there's just nothing usable about them. Or number two, they're functionally empty. They're, they're just not used to their greatest potential. And so what I want to do with you this morning is, here, here's my simple desire. I want to help you find empty uh, spaces in your day and help you redeem them and renovate them so you can grow in your relationship with God. 
we're going to get really practical this morning. I want to help you think about your day from the beginning to end, and I want to help you think about how can I redeem and renovate all of this useless space or empty spaces, or quite honestly, let's just call it good spaces that could be made more life-giving spaces. And uh, our desire is to close out this series on how to study the Bible by, number one, taking away every excuse that stands before you and doing you and studying the Bible, and then also to encourage you and give you these practical ways to do it. So question for you as we get into this. What stands between you and daily spending time studying God's Word? Right now, what stands between you and daily spending time studying God's Word? Do you have it in your brain? For some of you, it's just, I'm, I'm a lazy bum. For some of you, it's, I don't want to. Uh, for some of you, uh, it's, you know what, I just, I'm not really interested in this kind of stuff. As a pastor, there are five, I think, major um, roadblocks to people daily spending time in the Word of God, and I want to just call them out for you, and again, my desire is to uh, gently, or if we have to forcefully, um, call out these roadblocks and not give you any excuse to not be daily studying the Word of God. Excuse number one, I can't find the time. So if you are a stay-at-home mom, and you have one or two kids, okay, uh, I got you. Stay-at-home moms, right, with one or two kids, is it hard to find time to do anything life-giving at all in any way, shape, or form? Someone give me an amen if you're a stay-at-home mom, right? So that is, like, that is incredibly challenging. I want to talk to the rest of you in this time. Uh, do you find time to brush your teeth every day? Why? because you're going to offend everybody else. No, because you, you know that you're not going to be able to function in the way you want to function, right? You're going to be walking around like this every day, right? You know that it's going to create problems for you if you don't do it. And you know what most people do? Unless you're disgusting. You find, you find an opportunity to brush your teeth every single day. If you're late for work and you run out the door and you realize your teeth are not brushed, what will you do? The majority of you will go back inside, brush your teeth, or at least get mouthwash, right, to cover it up. Uh, how many of you, right, will go throughout an entire day without eating? Very few of you. There might be a day when you, it's like noon, and then you realize, oh no, I didn't eat yet, right? But then what do you do? You stop whatever's going, and you make space for it, right? You cancel an appointment. You postpone something. You're late to something, right? Because what, what, what happens to most men, especially when we're hungry? We get hangry, right? We're like grumpy. We're like, we're no use, like we're just no good whatsoever. So, like, I will stop midday to find food. You know why? Because I can't function without it. And so here's what I want to tell you. I find time for everything that I find valuable. I find time for everything I find essential. And so here's what I want you to catch. You may not have a lot of time, but this morning, we're going to get into this. I want to help you renovate your time. I want to help you redeem your time, rethink your time, so that you can actually see 99% of you have time in this room, it's just wasted, or it's empty, or it's not being used in the way that God might want you to use it. And if you're sitting here saying, no, literally 100% of my life is taken up so that I can have no intimacy with God, we need to have a completely other discussion about a completely different sermon. Number two, it's hard to start. Can I just affirm you? Is it hard to start reading the Bible if you've never read the Bible before? So let me, just, let me just affirm your struggle, but I want to I call you out on something. Can you think of anything in your life that is awesome or worth it that was not incredibly difficult? You want a great marriage? 
you have to fight for a great marriage. I mean, anybody have a good marriage here just on accident? You're like, yeah, I just woke up today and I had an amazing marriage. Maybe it was one or two of you, right? The majority of you, right? Your marriages stink or you have to fight for a great marriage because it is a dogfight. How many of you, is it easy to be a great, awesome parent and raise godly children who are completely well-adjusted? Anybody? Anybody? Right? If you want to be a great parent, like you have to do the opposite of what is natural to you. Nobody, I mean, if you're going to be a great parent, it takes hard work. You are one of the most fit churches I've ever been in. I mean, you guys are ripped to shreds. It's amazing. This is like unbelievable. Like you, you're not actually. But uh, have you ever seen anybody just ripped to shreds naturally? No, if you're going to be physically fit, right, it takes an incredible amount of work. Any doctors in the room, right? Did it just happen? It was incredibly, incredibly difficult. Every awesome thing in this life is hard and it takes hard work. It is a fight and you have to overcome your body saying, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested today because everything that is good and hard is worth it. So I just want to affirm your struggle and say, yeah, it's hard. Everything worth it is hard. What makes you think that in your flesh, a relationship with God and intimacy with God and daily growing with God and hearing from him through his word and the Holy Spirit is easy when every other relationship in life is thinking hard? I just want to affirm your struggle. It's hard. But let me tell you this. It is worth it. There are three, I think, biggies that I hear, and I want to really honor these because I think these are really legit, but I also want to help you think differently. Number three is I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. Uh, when I pick it up, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I... I I'm reading this story about genocide. I'm reading this story about weird things. I'm reading this story about a battle. I'm reading this story about a guy getting healed. I don't, I don't get it. I want to give you an illustration to help you um, just think about how most people I find approach the Bible and why they have a hard time understanding it. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, Mona Lisa. Um, apparently, um, one of the most respected, most important works of art in human history. In fact, it is officially the best known, most visited, most written about, and most sung about, and the most parodied work of art in the world. So can we agree that the Mona Lisa is a pretty relevant work of art, and it's important, and probably Leonardo da Vinci did a great job, okay? So we're good on that? So I want you to imagine somebody is given the Mona Lisa, and all they do is they stare at her eye. That's it. And people are saying, oh, it's the greatest work of art in human history. It's so interesting. You're not going to believe it. It's going to blow your mind. You're just gonna... And she's staring at the art, staring at the art. Like, I, I have no idea what's going on here. And that's what most people are like when they study the Bible. They don't know anything about the backstory. They don't know anything about Leonardo da Vinci. They don't know anything about why he made the Mona Lisa, who Mona Lisa is, what the point of this is, what kind of brushstrokes are going on, how nuanced and how much time and energy and expertise it actually took to put this together. And all we do is we stare at the eye with no knowledge or even understanding of all of the context that's going on. Let me just tell you something. If you sit and stare at the eye of Mona Lisa, you will be bored out of your mind, okay? On the other hand, if we actually look at it in the way that it was intended to be observed, which is knowledge of who Leonardo is, knowledge of the background of this, um, knowledge and the intricacy of what it takes to actually paint something with such beauty and excellence, um, then you start to understand. Then you start looking at her eyes and her nose and her smirk and her eyebrows and her hairline, and you start to get the bigger picture of what's going on. Most people, right, we just look at one small portion of it, and then we get frustrated, and we say, it's boring. And I want to tell you, stop looking at one small section and understand the bigger picture of what's going on here. Understand that every story is connected to the whole thing. And, and guess what? You have this amazing thing called the internet. I mean, mind-blowing device, right? Just device, 
thing that I can't even touch. Go figure that one out, okay? And in it are every single explanation of the context of every book of the Bible, right? If you open up the internet and you just type in, when was the book of Colossians written? Everything you could possibly want to know. And then the majority of you have this really crazy thing called study Bibles. Or if you don't, we have a ton of free ones, so you can just have one, right? And you open it up, and before you look at and read a verse, if you don't know who it was written by, to, when, why, where, etc., you just open it up and you read it. So that you and I have no excuse whatsoever to not understand what's happening when we open up the Bible. Do you get that? Like, imagine this person, right? She says, I don't understand what's going on. But right next to her is a full explanation of who Leonardo was, why he wrote it, who Mona Lisa was, what was going on, and what his intentions were, right? I don't understand. Well, the, it's right next to you. Read it. Ah, it's too boring because you're only looking at the eye. But this is what most Christians are like when we read the Bible. So is, is the Bible hard to understand? Yes. Number four, is the Bible boring? Yeah, let's be honest. If you're just looking at one small section isolated from the grander purpose... And yet when you step back, it is the greatest piece of literary work in human history, more popular, better, more copies sold than any book ever, times a gajillion. It is unbelievable. It is an unbelievable masterpiece woven together by the inspiration of God through the hands of men. I mean, it is profound. And I just want to tell you, yes, if you approach it like most people approach it, if you approach it like the illustration of the Mona Lisa, it will be hard to understand and it will be absolutely boring, but that is on you at this point. Because the Bible is an unbelievable literary masterpiece. Now, number five. Um, this is for all my young friends. Um, following God isn't about the rules. Don't add rules to my life. Grace, 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 right? Um, and if I don't read the Bible, who cares? Like, I'm just like, I'm just going to do my thing. And So, Ville Church, you were saved by grace through faith, not by fill in the blank. Works, Right? Is salvation 100% of grace, 0% of mankind? Say yes. Yes. 100% God, 0% man, no work. You brought no good works or righteousness to the table in any way, shape, or form. But is your intimacy and nearness with God something you must work toward? Absolutely. If you want to know God and you won't put in the simple effort to open up the Bible, you will not grow in your intimacy and your knowledge with God, right? And so here's what I want to tell you. I I, I will never impose a rule on somebody. Um, I'm not even here to say to you, you have to read the Bible every single day for 15 minutes a day. That's not the point here. I'm not going to put any rules on you. Here's what I want to do. I want to put before you the most compelling, glorious, beautiful, imaginable God and tell you, why would you not want to wake up every day and get to know him? Why would you not want to talk to him? Why would you not want to pursue him in the way that he has revealed himself, which is through the word of God? Why would you not? And so rather than put a rule on you, what I want to just do is put out something that is infinitely more compelling than HGTV and say, the God of this universe will never let you down. Pursue him. Know him. He is worth it. He has revealed himself profoundly to you in the word of God. And so, yes, salvation is by grace, 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 grace. And if you don't read the Bible, is God going to come down and like, like strike you down and kill you? No, because his grace abounds. But I'll I'll tell you this, that the grace of God um, does not propel me toward apathy. It propels me toward intimacy. That if you got the grace of God, you would not sit on your butt and do nothing. You would actually run into Jesus and you would say, I am so blown away by what you've given me. How could I not 
You're the most interesting person I could possibly imagine. And so I think when we get grace, it propels us into intimacy with God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. Spend a few minutes in this text. Again, trying to wipe away every excuse that you could possibly have that would stand between you and daily studying the Word of God. That's my goal. Hopefully, for most of you, we've done that. But Ephesians 5, 15 says this. Look carefully, then, how you walk, how you live, how you talk, what you do. Look carefully. It doesn't just say nonchalantly observe, once a week reflect upon. No, look carefully. Pay very specific attention, okay, how you live your life, what you do. Not as unwise, but as wise. I love verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are, what does it say? Evil. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. I do not think this means make the best use of your month. I do not think this means make the best use of your week. I think this means make the best use of your time. And we function in days here in this world, okay? I think what this means is you step back and you redeem and renovate your day. For me, what this has meant is renovating my hours and my half hours, what this means is understanding that in a 24-hour period, I may sleep eight hours a night. I've got 16 hours that for the majority of, of us, many of those, they might be good, but they're not redeemed. For many of us, we have more hours than we can possibly communicate that are just pure emptiness and they're wasted time whatsoever. And so what I want to challenge you this morning, and we're going to get real practical in a bit here, is that we need to redeem our hours. We need to redeem our half hours. This is not just generally once a month I take a, an inventory of my life and how much good I've done and bad I've done. This is real time. You are accountable for your money, your job, your possessions, but guess what? You will be accountable to how you steward every moment and every day of your life, which is a great privilege, actually. We've been given the privilege to steward time. This is this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What did Paul mean by the days being evil. Well, Paul, as he's writing this, is in jail for professing his faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul can legitimately look out and say, these days are evil. I mean, they will kill you and imprison you if you declare faith in Jesus Christ. Were Paul's days evil? Yeah. And I think many of us would step back and say, you know, our days aren't that evil. We live in America. I'll I'll contend this with you. You You can debate me all you want. That's fine. We'll have fun with this privately. I would contend that most Christians participate daily or weekly in more evil than the non-Christians did way back when. So I'll give you a couple examples. Most Christian men, not all, but most are porn addicts, right? Most Christian singles are sexually active. I don't know if you knew that, but it's true, and it's real, and we see it all the time. Most Christians, we need to hear how I say this, because this is important, crave Most Christians crave to be entertained by things that Jesus had to die for. Most Christians' music playlist glorifies explicitly things that Jesus had to die for. We sing songs about blatant immorality, and we glorify them. And so we we, we sing. I mean, this is just part of our life. And this is our everyday. And so I would just personally contend with you that this is all the more relevant today than it was in Paul's time, that the evil is everywhere. The main difference is we're largely numb to it. We're largely numb to it. 
And so I, I don't think we can just say, oh, that was just then and this is now. I think it's very different. And the days are evil uh, because Satan is unrestrained. And he's even so unrestrained that he's called the God of this age. He, Paul looks at culture and says it's so bad that this could only come from one source. Clearly, Satan is influencing the dominant culture, and that influence has not waned. I want you to catch why I think daily Bible study, not just daily like I'll throw out a verse here and there, but daily actual getting into God's word is essential. I do not believe it is possible to steward the ideas and the struggles of this world with one verse a day in a sermon a week. I, I just don't believe it is possible to fight the onslaught of lies um, to steward our own flesh and struggles with a random verse in a sermon a week that we have to pay attention to. I just don't think it's possible. So like, you're like, okay, preacher man, that's easy for you. You're a pastor, right? I am blown away by how sinful I am. My flesh is so powerful and so strong. My mind is easily, easily betrayed, right? I mean, I, I am deceived more easily than I would ever want to tell you. I have to be. I'm not, I'm not in the Bible because I'm a pastor. I'm in the Bible because I am a broken man with a fleshly body in an evil world, and I need to be given the equipment to battle the lies and the struggles of this world, right? I want you to catch that. Like, I'm not in the Word because I'm supposed to be, and it's my job. I'm in the Word because I have to be, because I can't live without it. And I would contend if you're not regularly studying the Bible, you are losing. You're losing. Or what you think is possibly, you know what, I had a season in my life where I studied a lot and I've learned enough to get by for the rest of my life. And what I want to just tell you is that all my years of seminary, all my years of Bible school, all my years of conferences, all my years of all the stuff that we've done as Christian pastors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, has not even begun to equip me for the onslaught of culture and what I deal with in my own body. It doesn't even, I, I, can't, I don't know what to tell you. And I'd love to sit here and tell you that my flesh barely erupts inside of me. I'm a bad person apart from the spirit of God and the self-control he's given me. And if I knew half the things you really wanted, maybe not the things you did, but the things you wanted, uh, I would probably be blown away by how bad most of us are. But I, I need it. Now, my six-year-old, she can handle and steward the ideas of this world with one verse a day. You know why? Because we insulate her. Uh, she doesn't watch TV like we do. She doesn't listen to music on the radio. We're privileged to have her in a Christian school right now, so she's insulated on a whole another level from that direction. But you're not. You're not. I would contend as soon as a kid hits maybe third or fourth grade, probably younger, they need to be in the word of God more than just a verse a day, but they need to be devouring it, devouring it. And as my child gets older, we're going to help her understand daily. You got to do it. You can't not. There's too much at stake. Make the best use of your time. Renovate your time, redeem your time. Then he says in verse 17, therefore, don't be foolish. Don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. This is the implication. If you don't redeem your time, if you don't make the best use of it, you're a fool. That's what he calls us. You're a fool. But he says, don't be a fool. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So pop quiz, Villa Church. God has revealed his will, mind, heart, all synonyms, primarily through the Bible. So he says, understand. Now, understand does not just mean know factually. Understand is when you accumulate knowledge that drips into your heart and you believe it, okay? That's understanding. It's head and it's heart. Um, I know it and I love it. I get it. I fully understand what's going on here. Your job 
is to understand the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord, the heart of the Lord, the ideas of God are primarily given in written form in the Bible. You can say, well, I don't like to read. Take it up with God, okay? He created this whole concept of reading. That was like his thing, right? Um, That is how he wanted to be primarily known. And so it is incumbent upon us to read. It is. And and that's just one of the primary realities that we have to deal with here. So um, observation about myself. I don't want to always understand what the will of the Lord is. I love this little saying, dumb is fun. I'd rather be dumb and stupid and live ignorantly and just go about my day. But that's not what God's called us to. He has not called us to be dumb. He's He's called us to be understanding of his will, which is primarily revealed through the Bible. Somebody might say, I'm going to call it my community group, so love you guys, but I'll call it my community group. I'm not a reader. And uh, I would just look at you and say this. My six-year-old is a normal six-year-old. I mean, of course, every parent thinks their six-year-old's a genius, right? But we'll just, my six-year-old's a normal six-year-old. If she can open up the Bible, like not a kitty Bible, like a real Bible, read it, understand it, and then tell my four-year-old in such a way that my four-year-old understands it, can you do it? Okay, I'm, you know, I'm just a simple guy. You know, I, I'm not really that smart. Are you smarter than a six-year-old? <laughs> My guess is yes. Now, some of you will be like, no, she's no. I'm not talking about capacity. I'm talking developmentally. Her brain is a developmental six-year-old, okay? You are smarter than that, and you can read, and you can open up things. I mean, in, in fact, you'll find yourself reading daily things you're actually interested in, even if they're in little short spurts, right? And so here, here's my challenge to you. If my six-year-old can do it, and she has just learned how to read, you can do it. And again, my goal is to be kind, but it is to take away gently or strongly every excuse that stands between you and God. I don't like to read. Well, that is how he has revealed himself. So either something is wrong with God or something's wrong with you. I would contend every time. It's probably us, not God. Amen, somebody? That's good. So let's get really practical. Uh, in your notes, you'll see this, Redeeming Empty Spaces. And uh, I want to just share with you a little bit from my life and some friends of mine how we renovate, redeem empty spaces in our day, okay? So I'm going to start in your morning. I'm going to go to your nighttime. This will be practical for all of you. Some of you, uh, there will be pieces that apply. Um, Some of you, part of it won't. But all of you, some of this will apply to you, okay? So you could leave here and say, but I don't know how. I want to take away every excuse. So redeeming your morning. So here's what I do. In the morning, I'm groggy and I'm pretty worthless. So um, when I get up in the morning, I uh, will get up and I'll pick up my daughter who is unconscious, put her on the floor, and let her wake up. And I'll go in and I'll make breakfast. And I will turn on a podcast, Al Mohler's The Briefing. Uh, and what he does is he takes three major world events and he processes them through the worldview of a Christian through the Bible. And uh, so how do we process the earthquake in Nepal? Was that divine judgment? How do we process what the Supreme Court is going through right now? Um, What is the biblical thing to do in this? How do we process this as Christians? What do we do with uh, the uh, homosexual agenda? How do we process this? How do we not process this? How do we love? How do we fight for truth? What do we do about abortion? All these big issues that are happening culturally in America, he just deals with them head on. And so what I do is I'm making food, and the last thing you want me to do is multitask while I'm studying the Bible. So I'm mindlessly making eggs, and I turn on Al Mohler's The Briefing. Most every morning, that's my, that's my rhythm, and I listen. And every morning I wake up, and I am honestly encouraged. 
My mind is being shaped. My heart is being formed. Now, I haven't had a chance yet to get into God's word because, you know, we've got kids and we're trying to do stuff. And, uh, but then there's this next part of our morning routine. Pardon me if this is a little crass, but I think it's relevant, so go with it. Um, your bathroom time, okay? So, like, I'll be honest. Most, most dudes I know, like, camp out, okay? So... This is relevant. I'm going to get real biblical here, so just hold on a minute, okay? <laughs> hold on. I want you to imagine you made a commitment. Every time you were in the bathroom, you read scripture. Not Facebook, not Twitter, not Instagram, okay? Scripture. That's it. And that's all the scripture you read throughout the day. You would have more scripture read in a day, most of you, than you would the whole month. I mean, give me a break, right? Just simple commitment. Would that not change most of your lives? Isn't that crazy? Before you get on Facebook, here's a rule, right? Before you read your Bible. Simple commitment. I will not look at Facebook today until I've opened up and read my Bible. So here's what I know about most of humanity under the age of, like, say, 60 or 80. You don't go anywhere without your phone, right? You go into the bathroom, you don't have your phone. You're like, oh, my gosh, the world's about to end. What if something happens? What if there's an earthquake? And I, uh, right, right? And so, like, here's what I know about most all of you. You go to the bathroom with your phone. And when you go to the bathroom, you sit there and you twiddle on your phone. Use it. Use it. You have this medium. Use it. And you're going to be there anyways. Redeem the time, right? It's not like you're going to do anything else useful with it. So uh, shower. So I, I love, I'm going to be honest with you, I love wireless, Bluetooth, waterproof speakers. Love them, okay? So like we got one that like snaps onto the wall, right? It's great, beautiful, change your life, absolutely amazing. If you want access, by the way, to any of the podcasts I mentioned, any of the apps I mentioned, or a link to any of the Bluetooth speakers, um, if you go on my blog, which will be, uh, you'll access it through our Ville Church Facebook today, you'll find links to a bunch of blogs we wrote about podcasts, technology, different things like that. So you can have access to all of these things immediately today. You'll love it. It's great stuff. But like I listen to sermons in the shower all the time. All the time. I love it. Uh, Like that for me is a time I'm going to redeem and renovate. I'm just going to sit in there and I'm going to listen and I'm going to multitask and I'm going to fill up my time. I'm going to use these spaces and let God's words speak to me. And it's a beautiful opportunity. So some of you, you're like, you don't get it. My life is crazy in the morning. I've got kids running around and a wife. Like I don't have time to redeem that, okay? Next part of your day is your commute for most of you. Um, Some of you commute with other people and so you may not actually have that time. But like here's what I would contend. On most of your phones your Bible will read to you. And you know how most people received the word of God before we like, had all this paper Bibles? It was read to them. It was read to them. God loves when we sit back and just listen and take in God's word. And there's also something really neat about it. When they read it, they don't read all the verse numbers. So you're just hearing the flow and the ebb of things. And it's really kind of a meaningful experience. So I love talk radio. I love listening to music. But maybe if your commute is by yourself, you just make a deal with you and God. Before I listen to talk radio and before I listen to music, I will listen to scripture and think about it. Simple commitment. Simple commitment. You have the space. You have this time. My question to you is, will you renovate it? Will you take which is good and make it life-giving? We'll keep going. Redeeming your playlist. I think a lot of you need to go through your phones and get rid of everything that does not bring Jesus glory so that when your kids see it or somebody that is not a believer in Jesus Christ sees it, like you're not guilty. Um, okay, so like there are things that explicitly do not bring glory to Jesus and bring glory to the culture that Satan wants to bring forth in this world. Just get rid of them. Um, Redeem your playlist and put things on there that actually do bring glory to Jesus. You go to work, redeeming your lunchtime. 
Some of you, you eat lunch with other people, and so this is not real, like, available for you to do. Um, some of you, though, you um, eat lunch by yourself. So go to your car, go to the bathroom, go someplace and eat and pull out your phone or pull out your Bible and just read and pray. Do you have the time? Yeah, well, we're not done yet. I mean, we got <sighs> redeeming your technology. Maybe you make a commitment as a family. We don't watch TV until everybody has at least spent a few minutes in God's word just talking to him and listening to him. Maybe it's just a simple commitment. And nobody does it until everybody spends time in God's word, and it's a possibility. Um, but here's maybe a commitment that you make. Before I watch TV, I'll make sure that I spend time in God's word. Because most Christians can spend one to four hours a day actually watching TV, and most Christian nighttime routines go, um, we're watching TV while we're eating, we're watching TV while we're playing, the TV's always on. It's, a, it's a, you know, a, an extra member of our home, which isn't necessarily terrible or evil, but like, what if it is actually replacing intimacy with God and intimacy with your family? Just a thought for you. Rethinking Facebook. I don't have an issue with Facebook. Just make a commitment. Facebook is after the word of God. Instagram is after the word of God. Twitter is after the word of God. Vine is after the word of God. We could keep going, but you get the point. Redeeming your exercise. This for me was huge. Some of you say, I need music. And if you need music, redeem a different part of your life. Here's what I found. Um, I just didn't find anything I really liked. And until I found stuff I loved, I wasn't able to actually redeem that part of it. And I found a number of podcasts that now when I go running, um, I listen to them and they totally enrapture and engage me. So I have a rule. This is my rhythm. When I run, I'm listening. When I walk, I pray. That's my rule and exercise. Um, I can't really like pray to God while I'm running because I'm like, oh God, when will this end? Please stop this now. <laughs> but when I walk, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Lots of gratitude. And anyway, so redeem your exercise. Redeeming moments with your kids and with your spouse in your morning, your evening, your nighttime routine. Maybe something you do is uh, every single night you take one verse of one book of the Bible and you put it on the table and you talk about it. And within like six months, you've gone through an entire book of the Bible where your whole family has processed and you've asked what it meant and you don't have to really do much prep. You just say, here's a verse. Let's talk about it. What does it mean? Observations, principles, applications. Opa, right? And then you have Saganaki and everybody's happy. If you don't, if you didn't catch that reference... Just come talk to me, okay? <laughs> Redeem your community group time. I mean, in most community groups, what they do is they go deeper, practically, and sometimes into the text, what we do uh, on Sunday mornings. And so take that opportunity. Like, these are moments that are in your life, and a lot of us are like, eh, I don't want to go deeper into the text. I just want to talk about what it means to me. And it's great, but like, maybe spend that time and have a better attitude about it, right? Maybe you go with your spouse and you're begrudging, like, I don't want to go back to community group. Redeem this and take this as an opportunity to get to know God better with his people, which is one of the most beautiful ways to study God's word is with the people of God. And then my last one is redeeming Sunday mornings. Uh, you have the option to come here and be disinterested. You have the option to come here and not take notes. You have the option to come here and not think about it. Or you have the option to come here and say, in the absolute foolishness of God, uh, I would say wisdom, but he has chosen to use men uh, to open up the Bible and talk about it uh, and to teach that way to the church. Okay. Then participate. Like God orchestrated this whole rhythm. Teachers teaching people. That's what he did. So instead of saying, oh, the sermon's boring, the pastor's boring, that's the foolishness of it. Like, how can a man absolutely communicate the glories and the wisdom and the beauty and truth and the depth and the riches of God's word, right? And so we, we say, all right, well, God said he wanted men to do this, even though they fall very fall short of what, I mean, if Jesus got up here, it'd be the best sermon every week, right? Redeem this time. 
fully engage and understand this is a beautiful opportunity for you to go deeper with the Lord. He chose to set things up so that teachers teach and people listen. Ask him what he wants to do in your heart in this time. I want to close with some pitfalls, four pitfalls for you to watch out for. Number one is information backup. So I want to call out a rhythm that you're going to experience. Um, Reading the Bible is hard. Until you start doing it, then it gets easy, right? Once you start doing it, it's like, oh, this is not as bad as I thought it was. I'm starting to understand what's going on. But here's what happens. So just be really weary of this, okay? You're going to love knowledge, and you're going to start studying, and you're going to start looking stuff up on the internet. It's kind of this weird thing that happens to a lot of people is once they start reading the Bible, they start wanting to read theology. It's just, it's just weird, so go with it, right? So here's what happens. You're into it, you're into it. You're like, man, I've never been so hungry for God's word and understanding it. And then one day you wake up and you crash. And you're like, I don't really want to think for the next year. And then you start feeling guilty. Why don't I want God's word? And here's what I, this is my personal opinion on what happens. I think there's a point where our brains become so overloaded and we are not living out all of the stuff that's in our brains. So John Maxwell has this awesome, awesome quote. He says this, most Christians are well-educated beyond their obedience. I think there's this limit in our brain where our soul says brain has too much, hands aren't doing enough, okay? And so what happens is you're going to find this natural experience where you really don't want to read a whole lot. And what I would tell you is that this is a time where maybe study goes down a little bit, prayer and obedience goes through the roof. And there'll be times when you're like, where is this energy coming from? And that might be a season where you are just devouring God's word and getting as much as while you have the energy. And what you just need to understand is that the soul, I believe, has this, this, this mechanism that says, smarter than you are obedient, like, let's, let's fix this thing. And uh, it's just a really self-regulating thing that I've learned in my life. I watch happen all the time. And people are like, I used to love God's word so much and I just can't find the energy. And that's usually what I, I say to them. I say, you're clearly not obeying something then that God wants you to figure out. So let's go figure out how to obey what you know rather than know more stuff you don't intend on obeying. Number two, we are scared of silence. You need to beware, okay? The technological generation, it, there is a major pitfall with this. Uh, It's awesome, I love it, but technology does a couple things. Number one, it makes us petrified of silence. If you ever have a moment where there is no noise, it's it's almost like freaky. I I say the loudest noise in the world is silence because it just like implodes on my brain, okay? Um, And the other thing that technology does is as much as it connects us, it disconnects us from actual humans, okay? That it changes our expectation of connecting with people, so we're satisfied with digital connections and human connections become more and more difficult, okay? So technology has this thing where it's created this silence, and it's created this fear of silence and this fear of intimacy, and there's this group, uh, this is a true story, about 500,000 to 2 million Japanese, mostly men in their 20s to 30s, they're called the hikikomori. If you've ever heard about them, this is actually a huge issue going on in Japan. The Wall Street Journal just released this incredible article um, on this group of people, and they are mostly men, 500,000 to 2 million. We don't know the total number, and you'll understand why when I tell you of mostly men who will not leave their bedrooms, who are 100% addicted to technology, and they never leave whatsoever. And the technology has created in them this need for constant input and constant connection, but a desperate fear of physical connection. So there's 500,000 to 2 million are the estimates, the low and the high end of hikikomori in Japan, and they are not in the workforce, and they're being basically appeased and accommodated by mom and dad. 
And this is a huge, huge issue. The, the, the government of Japan is pumping millions and millions of dollars to try to figure out how do we rectify this issue. But this is one of the pitfalls of technology. The more you use it, the more you need to understand that it easily pushes you away from people and makes you afraid of silence. Sometimes it is good to just be still. It's just good. And one of the things that happens to learners is that we always need to be learning and we stop listening. And it's just one of those things I want to caution you, you know, just hold this intention. While you pursue Bible study, don't forsake intimacy and silence with the Lord. Number three, when your intake exceeds your output. When your thinking trumps your doing. Just watch out. Because we are prone to love knowledge and anything that puffs us up. And sometimes in the Christian world, the smarter people are the deeper people. And I want to come back and say, deep is not what you know. Deep is what you do. So don't tell me that you're deep and you know a lot about God's word because you went to Bible school 20 years ago and you learned a lot and you have barely began to tap into the word of God since then. Deep is not what you knew way back when. Deep is what you do now. Number four, intake Beware of this when it exceeds intimacy. Just beware that when our intake um, causes us to lose intimacy with God. It's the most precious thing you have. I am not reading the Bible to get smarter for being smarter's sake. I am spending time in the word of God to know God, to give him glory through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So my desire today is to take away every excuse and roadblock that could stand between you and God to give you practical things that would help you renovate and redeem your time. And if you want more ideas, let's talk. I would love to help you think through that. And then go online to our Facebook or our website, and you can find all the technology and podcast blogs and app blogs um, that we mentioned today. Let's pray together. Um, Father, first I want to come before you and say thank you, thank you, thank you for revealing yourself in written word. Um, God, that is just so precious and so important, and um, I just find myself very, very um, grateful for that. And God, I know that we as Christians can make so many excuses because grace honestly is so awesome that our security in you is so beautiful that sometimes we can just take it for granted and we can just live our lives knowing we're going to heaven but maybe not taking as seriously um, the opportunity to have intimacy with you. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit right now would gently nudge and convict each one of us. Lord, if there's something standing between us and daily studying your word so that we might know you and give you glory through faith in Jesus, that you would... Just gently take it away, gently expose it. But Lord, some of us are hard-headed and we need you to knock us over the head. So would you do that for us? <laughs> and God, um, at the end of the day, we love you. We love you. We are so grateful. Thank you that you didn't leave us in silence. And Lord, thank you for loving us despite our own sinful, rebellious, negligent, ungrateful hearts. But God, right now, um, would you well up inside of us gratitude? so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.